0: Hi, this is Crystal Cyrus from the OOTW Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrian, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me.
1: And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation.
0: Episode 99, American Pie Movie Review. <laughs> I'm Chris McBrian, along with Caveman Derek Myers himself. You're gonna find me on Twitter at C McBride. You'll find Derek at Amaron underscore DM and of course popgosierworld.com for all of our information. And if you enjoy the show, head over to iTunes and leave a review. Derek Caveman, how are you, my friend? It's been a couple weeks, so it, how have you been? It,
1: indeed it has. I'm <laughs> doing great, Chris. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. And yeah, it's been it's been a few weeks. Uh, you know, darn real life getting in the way I of know. our podcasting and our extracurricular activities. Hate it when that
0: happens, Mm -hmm. but uh, no, it's been going well. How how are things with you? Uh, I I can't complain. I've been, just like you said, I was really, really busy the last couple of weeks, uh, just with work and stuff like that. In my spare time, um, the little bit of spare time that I have, I'm a, and I've mentioned before, I'm a college professor, so it keeps me kind of busy, you know, but I love teaching and I love my job and I'm a very, very lucky guy um, to be able to do that stuff. So I've been pretty busy just with work. Oh, and I'm also um, studying for my MBA. Nice. Yeah. So it's keeping me busy. How about you? What's going on?
1: Well, uh, so like you, uh, uh, my my professional life has been exceptionally busy right now, but I won't bore you with any of the uh, exceptionally boring details on that. But despite being as busy as I am at work, I have found that the best way for me to unwind when I come home is to absorb and bathe beer? myself beer? in absorb social beer? media. No, oh, no, no. Okay. In, in pop culture okay. and social media. Okay. So it's been a couple of weeks since we've done this podcast. <laughs> yeah. And um, – I have had an opportunity to watch a, a bunch of movies, to watch a few TV shows, and to read some various things. So I'm going to just take a quick minute. I'm going to sort of run down my list and let you know what I've been doing. Sure. And uh, <laughs> after I get through the list, mm-hmm. you, you tell me if you agree or disagree with sort of where I'm going with the pieces that you're familiar with. Okay. So Go I'm to start with movies because we're movie guys. Yep. So I had an opportunity to see uh, six movies. Since we've last Jeez. since we've last done our podcast, oh, pardon me, seven seven if you include American Pie, which we're going to talk about shortly.
0: Pretty
1: cool. So I'm going to run down the list and I'm going to tell you, uh, th- I'm going to give it a letter grade, okay, and, and draw whatever conclusions from that you want. Some are good, some are terrible. So in no particular order, because I honestly don't remember what order I watched them in. I watched the uh, new release, Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. That's the newest Jurassic Park movie in the franchise with okay. Chris pa- Chris Pratt. It was not great, uh, in my opinion. Worst one in the series so far. I would give it a D, and that's oh, wow. because I think the special effects were good. And I mean, hey, a movie with dinosaurs that look real, I, I, I got to give it more than an F, but certainly not much more than so an it F. Was,
0: so it was worse than Jurassic Park 3? Yes. Wow. Oh, wow. Absolutely. I didn't yeah. like Jurassic World either. My son was uh, all hyped up on it once, and I—I I didn't really think it was that I great. I
1: was okay with Jurassic World. Uh, you know, I felt that was probably like a C, sort of right in the middle, room mm-hmm. for improvement, but not yeah. as not terrible. But yeah, the new one, I'd give it a D. Okay. Uh, moving upward though, Netflix dropped a new movie last week called The Dirt. Are you familiar with this, Chris?
0: No, I I've heard it. Isn't this this like a on this guy that's like really like jerky no. guy or something here?
1: So this is about the rock band Motley Crue. Okay. They put out a book uh, like 15 years ago, probably more than that, that's basically was like their rise to fame and their glory years. And the book is called The Dirt. And so they put out, finally put out a movie called The Dirt. And it's basically a biopic of the band Motley Crue. Like how did they go from being these young upstarts that had all this fire and ambition to becoming... Rock and roll superstars, and sort of wh- where did it lead from there? And it was great. I mean, okay, now full disclosure: I've been, I'm always been a big fan of Motley Crue. Mm-hmm. I've read the book, The Dirt. I thought okay. it was fantastic, and uh, so I was really looking forward to this movie. We watched it last Friday when it uh, dropped on Netflix. I thought it was great. I'd give it an A minus. It was. Uh, it's everything you expect from rock and roll rock and rollers they they do everything to excess they have crazy adventures there's obviously some hardship i don't know how much you know about the the band but uh vince neal was in a horrific car crash at one point and his uh his daughter had cancer at one point so there's certainly lows he was in um
0: sorry he was in a car crash with uh the lead singer from hanoi rocks and he died in that crash didn't he
1: well, I was trying to not spoil it if you weren't aware of that, but yes,
0: exactly. Yeah, no, I remember that. And you're, you're saying this isn't a documentary, but it's like a biopic. So there's actors correct. playing the part. Oh, very cool. Yes,
1: yes, that's correct. So mm. The Dirt, it's on Netflix. I strongly recommend it, highly recommend it. And certainly watch for all the credits because they have like outtakes from the movie and they also have um, real life outtakes that sort- and they sort of do a split screen with here's real footage of what happened and then here's how they recreated it in the movie. Hmm. Um, so it was quite good. Uh, I watched... The movie
0: Network. Oh wow! Like from like seventy eight.
1: Uh, I think it was even earlier than that. But yeah. yes, it was definitely from the early seventies. I'd never seen it before. It had been on my list of movies to watch. Uh, I will say, I, I certainly enjoyed it. I'm giving it a solid A. Yeah. I felt that the uh, the visuals didn't hold up because it, the movie is dated. The visuals were hard to to wrap my head around in the sense of you know just the clothing, the style, the the lack of technology. I mean. It was what it was in the time period it was shot in and that and i can appreciate that but being 30 to 40 years older now it it is hard to watch and and just the way that the news was consumed at that time it's a real time capsule kind of movie but the so it was dated in that sense Mm -hmm. but it was absolutely not dated in the sense of what is the movie about what is the message what is the point uh, that the screenwriters and the directors are trying to make with this movie It is every bit as relevant now as it was when the movie came out In fact, I would say it's probably more relevant now yeah. Than it was when it came out Because when it came out, they say like it was written as a satire Yep. And now it's more of a cautionary tale And it's almost like they looked into their Magic 8-Ball And were able to say this could be a problem down the road let's make a movie to sort of address that and sure enough a lot of the predictions they make in this movie about how media is portrayed and how news is reported and how it's consumed very accurate very ahead of its time and you look at it now and it it it, the visuals don't hold up, but the message absolutely does.
0: They shot that in Toronto, hey, eh? and Peter Finch yeah. was yeah, and Peter Finch was so good at that. Like, remember him? Like, I, when he, when he was yelling on 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 camera, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. Oh God, the movie is so yeah. good. I'm so glad you went back to watch that movie. Good for you. Yeah,
1: well, it's one of those ones. Like you said, you got the iconic moment that you yeah. see referenced all the time, and I'd seen little bits and pieces of it. And I got to be honest, I'm not a big fan of Faye Dunway. Never have been. Yeah,
0: I get it. I, I get it. Me neither. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, I'm with you. But uh, she she was great. Uh, yeah no it was nominated for five of the performers were nominated for academy awards for their acting uh like if it's got five people in the movie they felt were worthy of an oscar nomination like it's got to be a good movie and it definitely was so i'm Mm -hmm. glad i watched it uh three more on my list for movies i watched get out oh god that movie movie. was good directed by jordan peele he won for uh best screenplay it was great Uh, now i was a little worried because it had been so hyped up for me. I was mm-hmm. worried it was going to live up to expectations. What but do you think? Do you liked it? It absolutely lived up to expectations. Nice. A plus, loved it. Can definitely see. We did. A, we did a podcast previously where we said, "What if you waited five years and then awarded your Oscars? How mm-hmm. would things change?" And and I've heard that that this uh, the, the movies from last year. This is the travesty people were saying is yep. Get Out should have been a bigger winner than it was and five to ten years from now people are going to look back and go how did that movie not do better and i got to agree like i think that it's one of those ones where 10 years from now when people look back on it and they go what else was in the nominations you're going to look at it and go how did get out maybe not how did it not win but how did it not get more love than it did so i don't
0: watch as you know i don't watch a lot of new stuff but i did watch that one and i liked that movie a lot i thought it was fantastic
1: yeah it was quite good um a movie I watched that I had seen before, but I watched again, Bullet, starring Steve McQueen.
0: Oh, nice. That's a good old one, too.
1: I'm a big fan of Steve McQueen, so I saw it was like Great in car chase, isn't it? Yeah, recorded it, loved it. I'd give that one a B B+. Uh, nice. I mean, it's got Steve McQueen that automatically notches it up a couple of uh, right. um, things for me. I was a little surprised at how old it was. I think it was
0: – 68, I, I think it, it is. Yeah.
1: 68, Yeah. yeah. So I was like doing the math going, Jesus, this, this was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. And that's another one where yeah. although the, the the time in which it was shot, you would think, oh, it doesn't hold up. But I found it actually held up, in my opinion, better than Network did. Like, yeah, it was dated, but I didn't mind it nearly as much as I did with Network. But anyway, and the last movie I saw was The Big Chill. So we did St. Elmo's Fire not too long ago. Remember we did, I was telling yes. You know how I didn't. Saying almost Fire was about, but I had heard, oh, the big chills about a funeral. And for some reason, I, the two movies in my mind were connected in some way. Right. So I finally sat down to watch this. I got about an hour into it and I had to turn it off. I thought it was terrible. I don't understand how it gets so much love.
0: Yeah. I think it's just because it's so seminal, you know, like, I mean, you've got like, like Tom Berenger and like Glenn Close was it and William Hurt and Kevin Kline. There's so many people came out of that. I think that's why even um, uh, Kevin Costner, even though he didn't make it in the movie, he played the dead guy um, and didn't – he ended up on the cutting room floor in that movie. But I think that's why it's such an important film because it's very seminal. That's that's my guess. I
1: didn't yeah, like it either.
0: It's boring. It is boring.
1: Yeah, it was, it was boring. And good
0: music was in it, I guess. It had some pretty good tunes, but –
1: no, I'm going to go the other way. The, the soundtrack killed it for me, like the whole really? and they even comment on it in the course of the movie. It's like oldie goldies. And someone even comments is like, oh, what are we stuck on the oldies channel all weekend? And yeah, I mean, maybe when it came out in the early 80s, it mm-hmm. was trying to appeal to an audience that was familiar with that music. But watching it 35 years later, I'm like, this is terrible. It's slow. It's boring. It wasn't making I didn't care about any of the characters. I was like, no, I'm done. I gave it, it's a two and a half hours. I gave it two, I gave it a full hour. I'm like, no, I'm out, done.
0: I think it was just that because it came out in like 83 and the characters in the movie were supposed to be like 20 to 30 years old. And so that's the kind of music that they grew up with. I think that's the whole point, you know,
1: wasn't wasn't a big fan of it. Uh, I watched the uh, entire season of the Netflix show, The Umbrella Academy. Have you heard about that? I've never even
0: heard of it before.
1: Okay, so it's one of it's, uh from what I've now learned, it's actually based on a, a comic book series. I th- I want to say it was an independent publisher. I, I honestly don't know enough about it. Um, so it's this this uh, off-brand sort of superhero story. I, I won't really go into it a lot, but it's 10 episodes. Uh, it was shot and produced in uh, Toronto and Vancouver. Uh, so – being from toronto uh i recognize a lot of the the sites um ellen page who uh people would probably know from the movie juno or she was uh, she played kitty pride in the x-men franchise yeah, she's awesome. uh, is she was the main star and she's one of the producers Um uh, colin fior is also one of the supporting players in it who again big important canadian actor a lot of canadian fans will recognize uh it was it was quite good it ended on this massive cliffhanger and i recently i read just this week that it got picked up for season two so i'm very glad because i just watched the last episode in the last couple of days and i thought if it didn't get picked up i would have been bummed out that it ends on this big cliffhanger and you have no resolution so it was quite good i really enjoyed it. i give it a b and uh and lastly because we obviously got to get into our american pie pretty soon mm-hmm. i've been reading a bunch of comic books just again i needed something to keep my mind distracted cool. i went back and reread the All-Star Superman series. Now, Chris, I know you're not a big comic book guy. You ever heard of All-Star Superman? No, I don't know that one. Okay, so this is considered by many to be one of the uh, the best Superman stories that's ever come out uh, ever. So when you ask someone, like, what are the best Batman stories ever? You always hear people say uh, The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller is one of the all-time greatest Batman stories ever written. In the same breath, when you ask people what's the greatest Superman story ever to come out, a lot of people will now say All-Star Superman written by Grant Morrison and uh, art by Frank Quiltley. And uh, the idea is it's a 12-issue limited series. And in the first episode, something happens and Superman finds out that he has one year to live. And then it's the story of what does Superman do with his last year of life? How does he preserve his own legacy? Who does he – reach out to and how does he interact with people and like what happens to a world where they eventually learn that superman is going is going to be gone forever and so each issue is like one month later as he's starting to like basically he quote unquote gets sick and his power starts to diminish and it's like what happens over the course of this year being the last year of superman's life and it is Amazing, it is so When did, it, it,
0: a, when did it come out? Like, when, when's this basically
1: 15 years? Okay. Like, quite recently, okay. And uh, it is so good. The art is great, the story is great. And yeah, if you ask hardcore Superman fans, if you say, Hey, I'm not really a, a comic book guy, but I'm thinking about maybe picking up some Superman books, what do you recommend? I guarantee you, any Superman fan worth their salt is going to recommend in their top three. All Star Superman. So, I give it a solid A plus. Anyone looking for a good Superman story, All Star Superman.
0: So, man, oh man, you have been busy keeping up on stuff. I've spent oh, all yeah. I spent all my time either doing work, or, you know, or I was watching Bob Ross, The Joy of Painting. That's it. Yeah. That's all I do. <laughs> all right. Nice. On that note, what do you say we get started on this movie? Yeah, let's movie? do it. All right, here we go. <laughs> Hold on, I got. I gotta open a beer. I gotta open a beer. I need to take a big swig of mine. Let's have a drink because this is going to be a lot of fun. Almost like a pirate radio
1: guy during the war.
0: (laughs) I just go back and watch Meatballs and Stripes and Smokey the Bandit and all those shows that I love. Instead of playing a bar, they should have played like a minor league hockey arena. Yeah. Young man. Drive me crazy with this stuff. And that wasn't cool. Long Duck Dong. For those of you who have not been keeping count, I have. Jaws, Star Wars, and Raiders of the Lost Ark are my three favorite movies of all time. Holiday Rap. Yes. We're going to ring regga for a horny day. Okay, so this week, uh, Derek, you nominated American Pie from 1999 because I don't nominate anything after like 1987. So uh, you nominated this movie. Um, why don't you get us started on it? and sure. then we'll kind of just kind of take it from there um maybe you just start off like why you wanted me to watch this movie and i'd never seen it before so this is the first time that i had a chance to watch it um and we'll come in with my take on it in a second but why don't you kick us off with uh, kind of why you nominated it and a little bit about what you like about it
1: for sure okay so american pie came out in 1999 and it is in for people who maybe haven't seen it before or haven't seen it in a while at, at the heart of it the story is it's uh Four high school kids, four high school guys in their last year of high school make a pact that they will help each other to try and all lose their virginity by prom night. You know, it's it's the typical makeup of your teen comedy, screwball comedy, sort of throwback style of the 80s of – uh, you know, this, uh, this restricted uh, mm-hmm. uh, sex rated right? R comedies. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. sex comedy. That's what I was thinking. Of yeah. Being. You know, you've got swear words, you've got, you've got boobs, you've got uh, you know, all sorts <laughs> of uh, things that are R rated and you have teenage boys acting, behaving and speaking like teenage boys would. And you don't have to censor them or filter them for a PG movie. And when this came out in 99, this sort of genre of movie, had not been around and had not been done successfully in quite some time. So this was almost like the kickoff for the resurgence of this kind of movie for the next generation, if you will. So when it came out in 99, uh, I was still working at Blockbuster Video, and the kids in this movie were not that much younger than I was. I graduated high school in 93, so they were only six years behind where I was. So I found even though I had at that point gone through university and graduated, I could really still identify with these characters, mainly because a couple of the characters are like pretty nerdy. And who are we kidding? We've already established that I am quite nerdy. Um, Now, Chris, you don't have to find that quite so funny. (laughs) No,
0: I was just thinking of something else. uh, I'm not going to say it on air. (laughs) You make me laugh. (laughs)
1: um, In any case, you've got these four guys. Uh, there are different different types of guys. Like one guy's a jock, and one guy's pretty. One guy's like a brainy guy, and one guy's like the social. The, you know, he's just a little bit different than the rest of the guys. He's sort of refined. He wants to be seen like he's more of a ritzy upper class kind of guy who reads philosophy and poetry. And and then you've got just the goofball guy uh, who it, again, you look at uh, at movies like Animal House or or Revenge of the Nerds or Porky's. You always have like a couple of goofball guys. So of right. course you've got one of them too, and. None of these actors, none of the kids anyway, were really well known at the time. I mean, they've had some credits. Um, um, The one kid was in um, The Sandlot, the baseball movie. No, uh, Rookie of the Year. Pardon me. uh, Rookie of the Year, which was about baseball, where the little kid ends up pitching for, I want to say, the Cubs.
0: That's right. He did. Uh, Yep.
1: But again, that was many years earlier. Um, Tara Reid was in this, and she, again, hadn't really done much, but she was sort of a known commodity at that point. Um, and a couple of the other characters, more of the supporting characters, you're like – at the time, you're sort of like, I sort of recognize – because it was a lot of teenagers and, and actors in their early 20s pretending to be teenagers. So you're sort of looking at them going, I don't really recognize who any of these people are. And then you have someone like Eugene Levy is, is the one guy's dad. So, so there's a little bit of star power just to give the movie some credibility. But for the most part – you have this relatively uh, unknown cast, all very young. Um, uh, Allison Hannigan was in it. I think at that point she had just started working on the Buffy series. So, uh, you know, you, you had a lot of people, the target audience being like these late teens, early 20s, and they sort of were recognizing some of these actors. And, you know, shenanigans ensue. Uh, this is the movie where, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's a spoiler at this point because the movie came out in 99. If you haven't seen it, it's 20 years old. There's a movie where the guy – you know, there's no way easy way to say it. The guy sucks f- the pie, like that's that's what he's gone <laughs> no. on to be known as, no, that's and right. that's the pivotal scene of the movie, right? And uh, and in my mind, this this movie was great. I laughed every time I watch it. I laugh every time I watch it. Something I see some new detail that I I you know just brings a smile to my face, makes me laugh. I think part of it for me is I was at an age when the movie came out. I just finished school. I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I was working retail. I was working in the video store. And so I didn't really
0: have. A you weren't selling store. pies, were you? Oh my, my, my. No, no, not at all. I was trying to sell videos and popcorn. Oh, that's good. Uh, you know, I, I had no direction
1: in life. I didn't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> I had an arts degree with no idea where I wanted to go with this arts degree. I had moved back in with my parents to save some money. Um, you know, i and I was going out at night with my buddies after the video store closed and we, you know, we go to the bar and have a few drinks and we'd go to parties and stuff. We were young and irresponsible and, and didn't have anything to be responsible about. And so even though we weren't high school kids, we still acted very much like we were in high school. And so I could really identify with these characters in one way or another. And I just I love this movie so much. And it's gone on to spawn A number of sequels, some direct sequels to this. There was American Pie 2, American Pie 3, which I think was called American Wedding. American Pie 4 was the American Reunion, where they did a 10-year class reunion. And then there was like spinoff movies, which they were all terrible. I think I saw two of the four spinoffs and they were awful. But the main sort of uh, uh, characters that continue on in Part 2, Part 3, Part 4, those movies were actually pretty solid. Um, But it all started here. American Pie, 1999, Chris... I want to know if we're still going to be friends after this podcast. What did you think? Well, did you, you like it, eat it or somewhere in the middle?
0: You mentioned something very interesting because you mentioned that the R rated comedy was a bit of a dying art form in the nineties. And it was, yep. you know, and, and, and I think a lot of people think that this movie kind of sort of re the idea of that genre. I don't know if it, if it truly invigorated the genre and I'll be honest, I'm not even sure if this is the same as the whole sex comedy genre of the eighties. I've, I've always said that in order to really understand a movie, you need to look at the times in which it came out. So let's go back to 1999 to understand this movie in its proper context. But before we do that, you mentioned another thing that just triggered something. How the hell is 1999 20 years ago? What what the hell happened? Like, how are we discussing 1999 is two decades ago? Man, I, I am really old. I'm like a dinosaur. <laughs> I keep clinging on to movies from the 70s and 80s as if they weren't all that long ago, you know? But anyway, so here's my take on it. So the, the sex comedies of the 80s, like, were, you know, R-rated comedies that focus on sex, right? And then, as you mentioned, that the genre kind of died off in the late 80s and pretty much for the whole decade of the 90s. And I think it's easy to look at this movie, American Pie, and think that the genre was reborn. I don't know if that's the case because – uh and that's not to say that i didn't like the movie i actually kind of enjoyed this movie for a lot of a lot of things that i'll mention um i just think that what happened in in this movie instead of like a rebirth of sex comedies i feel like there was a an emergence instead of gross out movies and and i really just realized this the other night and and let me just put this in context i put the kids to bed the other night and my wife was like hey have you ever seen there's something about mary it's on tv let's watch it and, and I'd never seen it. So I was like, OK, let's put it on. We watch it. And you've got like semen making an appearance, you know, and making fun of mentally handicapped people and like those sun damaged breasts, you know, in the scene. And right around the same time as that you've got Austin Powers is like drinking poo out of a coffee mug. And then American Pie comes out. And again, there's semen, you know, and, and a bunch of gross out stuff. And, and, and this isn't just about me being like a grumpy old man. You know, on on the contrary, because I really love R-rated sex comedies of the 80s. I grew up with that stuff, for crying out loud. Um, But I I just I think there was there's a shift to, like, gross out comedies instead of sex comedies. And I think it's important we make the distinction between the two. Do you agree with that?
1: Uh, I can definitely see a case for having gross out comedies and sex comedies as sort of different versions like deviation of the of the teen comedy genre but my question then to you is do you which of those two categories would you put american pie in because i don't necessarily think it's a grosso comedy i like i if anything i wouldn't necessarily classify it in the same grouping as there's something about mary to me this one although it's definitely a comedy and there's definitely some craziness going on it sort of has an intelligence to it it has characters that are believable they don't really do anything that's so over the top that you sort of go well that could never happen Mm -hmm. i mean there's certainly some craziness going on here but for the most part each character has something that they do or some quest that they're on or some objective or some goal where you're like i know someone who was like that or i could see that being me at that time in that circumstance whereas like revenge of the nerds like they do some crazy zany things where you're like well I'm, we're not going to break into the girl's dorm and put cameras in their thing like mm-hmm. you know they sort of cross the line so much or like you were saying with like Austin power some of these other movies there's like yeah he drinks the cup with the with the poo in it it's like
0: mm-hmm. like
1: that is totally over the top it's gross for for comedic effect and i found that this movie that it didn't necessarily go down that road uh, in my mind, anyway, what do you
0: think? I think it was just the opening scene, one of the opening scenes there when Stifler drinks the beer with, you know, in it. And oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think, I for me, it's just like, that's, you know, again, I'm reflecting on it now. It's just like, well, there's something about Mary just came out. They just wanted to get this gross-out scene in there. Um so so that, that it, the, the rest of the movie, not so much. The rest of the movie was more of that sort of traditional sex comedy that the 80s, uh, you know, had produced so much of. Another thing you mentioned that was interesting I want to touch base on is how, it, it, you know, it, it kind of reinvigorated, you know, sort of R-rated movies. And it definitely inspired a lot of movies that followed it, like much you know, like when Animal House came out in 78. That spun off a whole host of copycat movies and American pie had the same effect because you mentioned all these other American pie sequels, but there's more than just that. Like movies like, uh, Van Wilder or the 40 year old virgin or super bad. You could say if it wasn't for the success of this movie, American pie, Judd Apatow may have never gotten the chance to make some of his movies. So I think this movie was very influential. Um, just kind of like animal host was before it.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree for sure. Um, yeah, and exactly like we were saying, like there's there was a lot of good stuff that came out of American Pie that made it uh, made studios want to replicate it because it was clearly a financial success where I got to think when they put it out, you hope it's going to do well, but you just don't know. And I think it probably did Very well successful financially, like more than the studios probably expected. Um, And so, of course, everyone else wants to try and copy it. Well, what did they do? They, you know, what can we do that's like that, but different enough that we can still sell tickets that people aren't just going to say we've already seen that movie. Um, And so I think this one had a lot of uh, a lot of good ideas, a lot of new takes on old ideas in a way that other other creators wanted to jump on the bandwagon or or pay the necessary homage to say like look what this is doing this we can go in this slightly different direction it's not a copy but had this one not come first to pave the way this other thing might have been more difficult to, make, to get made so i think that's exactly what you're talking about
0: so a couple things that uh, we can get into like some aspects of this film so the, the scene let's start with the scene with um, shannon elizabeth in it my god <laughs> my god <laughs> So so one, I will touch base on this, one sort of recurring and, and, and very un-PC recurring theme in the sex comedies of the 80s was the idea of voyeur, voyeurism, right? Yes. And you saw it with Belushi, like, looking in on the sorority in Animal House. And you mentioned the nerds putting the hidden cameras in the Pies residence. And I see the scene in Porky's where the three guys go underneath the building and they look through the pipes <laughs> into the girls' shower room. But the thing yeah. with American Pie, and I think with the millennium generation in general— is that people now have the ability to share their voyeuristic intentions right across the internet. And I, I know we always say Jet X movies are on PC and they're like disturbing and they're outdated and inappropriate. But what's worse than a people watching a girl getting undressed in a bedroom as it's streaming out across the internet, you know, and it happens in this movie. And I, I think it in, in the scene, even one of the guys even says, God bless the internet, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. like Now, I mean, I think the redeeming thing here is that the fact that the character Jason Biggs's character, he didn't leave the camera running on purpose, you know, because if he yeah. had, that's a different discussion altogether, right? So, yeah. so it's not, it's not, you know, that he, it's not done on on purpose, you know. So, so the fact that it's not done on purpose, kind of makes him get as embarrassed as much as her. So that's yeah. actually kind of makes it kind of cool, you know. And 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 I also liked how he basically looks at her, and, and the audience does too initially when she first starts to undress. I mean you're forced to look at her as a piece of meat. But then she flips the tables on him and she makes yeah. him dance for him. <laughs> and and you realize that she takes control of this situation and she basically exploits him and turns yeah. him into a piece of meat. So I like the fact that they turn the tables there. I've, I've always said comedy comes from the fact that it's never funny to the people that it's happening to. So in that regard, there's some quality, I think, to the comedy in, in this scene, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I I, – so they interviewed Jason Biggs one time. I think Mm -hmm. it might have actually been after the second movie. And they said to him like, look, your character is the goofball. He's always doing these things that are just so crazy and so embarrassing and it's so funny. And they're like, how do you do do this? Like aren't you as an actor even embarrassed and and, like do you find it difficult? And he said, if I feel uncomfortable doing the scene, I know it's working. So when they give me an idea, I want to push it to a point where I am – Extremely uncomfortable Because I know it's just going to make the comedy Better and I think that In this first American Pie that's exactly What happens right when the funniest parts That where, where Jim does all these crazy things You know And they, they do a really good job of showing it Just how embarrassed he is once he's caught Doing these things but you, So you bring up a point here I want to go back for a second Yeah sure In 1999 yes we had the internet And yes we had email but not nearly to the ex- like it was still in its infancy. It wasn't anywhere near what it is today. People didn't have smartphones uh, in their pocket that had cameras, video cameras, uh, uh, still shot cameras, uh, it, streaming of stuff. Like you see in this movie when he he has the camera set up, like it's it's kind of a grainy picture and it's like pixelated at some points. It's not a lot, like it's not a perfect stream. Like it, the, the technology is still not to the extent where it is now but at the time this was as good as it could get and they sent an email out to the class directory and everybody's watching it on their on their like big clunky desktop pcs people aren't watching it on their phone people aren't watching it on a tablet and they're watching it on these crappy monitors and uh you know i think that's part of what makes these scenes work is that at the time you could use the technology that was available then to do these scenes and make them funny. But I think if you were to do this now, or even five to 10 years later, the, the whole voyeuristic, voyeuristic aspect of it, I think would be seen less as funny and more as creepy, which I think you already sort of touched mm-hmm. on. And I think it was just the right place, the right time using the technology based on what was available at the time, sort of knowing what you've got and being able to use it to an extent without being over the top or, or too much. Uh,
0: this Shannon Elizabeth scene. Now, I can't speak for an entire generation of millennials. Boy, would I be the wrong guy no for that show. kidding. <laughs> but I, I wonder if this scene is the millennial equivalent of Phoebe Cates in the Red Bikini.
1: 100%. Absolutely.
0: It, 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 that kind of jumped out to me because, like, I mean, this scene is like, oh, my goodness. Like, it's just like, man, if, if you're like, you know, a teenage boy watching this movie, like, you're just losing your mind. Right. And obviously, the Phoebe Cates scene. Uh, from Fast Times, like that was very iconic, you know, and very influential. Like that's a a whole generation of young men growing up in Gen X, you know, look to that scene. Right. And I, and I just thought when I was watching this, I wonder if, you know, this Shannon Elizabeth scene has that same level of influence on a generation of millennials.
1: Well, I I would think sort of yes and no. Uh, And again, I'm I'm maybe just a a tad bit too old to sort of definitively say yes or no for this, but Again, in 1999, you didn't have the vast wealth of information and freedom of the internet where you could literally go online, type any keywords you want, and get access to them for free. I think for a short while, yes, this scene would have done exactly what you're describing. But I think within five to ten years… It's not going to be nearly as risque because things much you know, – we'll say worse, uh, much, much worse than this are more readily available online uh, at the click of a button. So yeah, I think – again, I think for the time in which it came out, yes. But I don't – like so to your point, going back to Fast Times of Ridgemont High, that scene, young boys are watching that scene, old boys are watching that scene again and again and again and again for a decade.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: For 15 years, for 20 years, because it, you know, they have this memory of it, and that, you know, like you've said on previous podcasts, when you were a young boy or a young man in the 80s and you wanted to see some boobs, you went to a teen comedy movie to see some naked girls. That's right. You're not like that's not necessarily why you're going now. You want to right. see that kind of thing? It is on. You the can see it somewhere else. Yeah. It on your phone. Good point. Just pull out your phone and click what you want, and away you go. And at the time, in 1999, that still wasn't a thing, but not long after, it, it started to become a thing. So,
0: so, anyway. you brought up another good point I want to go back to. The other thing I would say when comparing American Pie to these 80s R-rated comedies is this. Those older comedies, at least the good ones, I would say, they, they weren't cruel. Like, they were crude, but sure. they weren't Cruel. And I was really, actually, quite happy when I watched this one that this movie didn't come across as cruel either. So, so I, I think that's good. I mean, I yeah. had my doubts as I went into it, like I say, the opening scene and stuff like that. But I think the characters were pretty likable for the most part. Um, there's always the fact that the guys are pretty much jerks in a lot of these movies. There's that. But and and I and for me again being more of a Gen X guy, but that's one thing I like about Judd Apatow's movies. And that's what I think makes them so good, because to me, they're like a throwback to those 80s movies, because underneath kind of all the crude exterior, his movies have such a big heart. And if you don't believe me, go back and watch The 40-Year-Old Virgin, or even Super Bad or even Trainwreck. Underneath all the crude language and all the sexual content, there's a big heart in those movies. And I think that's an important aspect that gets lost. And there was a lot of 80 movies, 80s movies that did not have that. You know, um, but the good ones did. And and I felt that this one kind of did, too. So I was kind of happy about that.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, All the characters are arguably all the characters are likable. and, And there aren't really any characters in this movie where you feel... Well, there's Stifler.
0: Stifler, he's a jerk. Well, right?
1: but I mean, he's a jerk for comedic effect. Right. And he constantly gets what's coming to him. He does, true, true. He does things and then karma comes back to bite him mm-hmm. almost every single time, if not every single time. Even the the, uh, the, the
0: the smarmy, nerdy guy that was like, you know, so smooth with the ladies and he's like, I'm getting all these ladies. It Karma came to bite him, him in the yeah. butt too. So that's true. Good point.
1: Yeah. So, um, so one of the other things I wanted to uh, so, if it hasn't already been quite clear, I, I really enjoy this movie. I love it. It's it's great. I've seen it twenty times at least. <laughs> like when I like a movie, I watch it over and over again, and this is no exception. And uh, when I was rewatching this in the last couple of weeks, uh, one of the things that I don't want to say jumped out at me, but that I was reminded of was. Not only is the movie of its time in 1999, which which works, is it had a fantastic soundtrack. And watching it now, um, I was able to like the music That's sort of true, put me yeah. right in the, right in the right mood. And I mean, music does that for a lot of people. You hear a song, it reminds you of a time, it brings you to uh, you know a uh, uh, um, a place in your life, a time in your life where. Maybe good things were happening, bad things were happening, and it evokes an emotion, right? And people, you, you hear people say that about sounds and smells, but for me, music does that to me a lot. You hear a song, it reminds you of something positive, it brings a smile to you. We talked about this when we did the Queen podcast, right? Mm-hmm. There's some songs, when you hear a song and it's a good song and it reminds you of something, like it just, it can totally change your mood. And I found that this movie was no exception to that. It had this great soundtrack full of late 90s artists and um you know, I'm just double checking here looking at the uh, the list of, of artists. So for example, I'll just run out of those real quick. We had Fat Boy Slim, Bare Naked Ladies, Everclear, Hole, yep. Dishwalla, Sugar Ray, Blink 182, third eye blind. Yep. Um uh, you know, it was it was uh band after band that was big in the nineties, tonic. Um and you know, much like we we sometimes rag on the '90s a bit as being sort of the the decade without an identity, uh, especially the late '90s. I think we talked about that in a previous episode. Uh, the music itself, though, does have a sound, and the emotion that it invokes when I hear it, it like immediately takes me back to that mid to late '90s, my last couple of years of university, my first couple of years of just being the aimless young person working this crappy retail job and hanging out with my friends. And like, to me, that was a very important and influential time in my life being in my young 20, my, my early twenties. And the music just like put me right back in that mindset, which I think is a big part of why I enjoy this movie so much is it just constantly reminds me of, of this very positive time. And, and a, a good, a good movie should do that. Good music should do that. And a good movie should be able to use music to do that as well,
0: yeah, and I think this one does. So I think that's a good point. Another thing this movie does good for me is is how gender plays in this movie. Because basically, the girls are as educated about sex as the boys are, and one of them is like really experienced. At least she seems to be. Yeah. Um, and Alison Hannigan is like a sex fiend, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I mentioned before, Shannon Elizabeth kind of takes control of the scene she's in, and even Tara Reed ends up kind of in control. She dumps her boyfriend, right? So yeah. from that perspective, I think the role that gender plays in this movie is actually kind of refreshing, you know, so that I kind of liked. Um, another thing I liked was you mentioned earlier some of the actors in it. And uh, I also recognized one of the lead actors right away. Um, his name was Kevin, right? He was uh yeah. Reed's boyfriend. And I yeah. also recognized him from Rookie of the Year, you know, because it, it was that movie from 93 when the kid gets Tommy John surgery and they can throw like a 99 mile per hour fastball. Yeah. And... You know, but I recognize them from that. The rest of the cast, as you mentioned, I think were all pretty much unknown at the time, which is always great to see. I like it when instead of going out and getting well-known actors, instead they catch up, like they just get cast a bunch of actors. They're just really, really good for the parts. Like it always seems to work better. I loved Jennifer Coolidge in the role of Stifler's mom. Like what a great casting role. Like, man, oh man, oh man, she was great. And I, I think a lot of people think of this or look to this movie as it, as, as if it's really seminal. And, you know, meaning obviously there's a lot of actors that went on to do a bunch more stuff. And the Rookie of the Year guy wasn't one of them, I guess. <laughs> I did not seem anything else. But uh, some of these actors, I guess, kind of parlayed the success of this movie into a solid Hollywood career. Some of them didn't. Allison Hannigan... She was amazing in this, by the way. And, and she went on to be in um, How I Met Your Mother. My wife's been mother. watching that yep. lately. I think she's a very underappreciated comedic actress. I think oh, she. I, I think she's pretty incredible. I, I, um, Mena Savari was pretty good in American Beauty. Um, maybe she only finds success in movies with American in the title. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe. Uh, but but one of the actors that uh, certainly wasn't American – uh, and you mentioned him earlier, was, was Eugene Levy, the good old Canadian guy that he is. Yep. Man, oh man, he was perfectly cast as yep. the father in this. Yep. When he brings <laughs> the son the magazines and he's trying like painfully to talk about sex with his son, yep. man, oh man, Levy is just so good at that deadpan kind of uncomfortable stuff. He's so underrated, man. I loved him in SCTV, you know, like Bobby Bittman. And Earl mm-hmm. Cameron and Igor and and even movies like Splash and Going Berserk, Vacation. God, you there. There was some pretty pretty good casting in this movie, I think, and I and I and I think we can't really overlook that.
1: Yeah, and I and so for when they did American Pie two, which okay, so I assume since you had not seen American Pie one, have you seen American Pie two? No, I
0: haven't seen any any of them. Until so I, this. I
1: it, it American Pie two in my mind was. Almost as strong – it's one of those rare examples where the sequel was arguably just as good as the original. They were able to bring back everybody from the first movie, all the cast, all the people, all the kids, all the parents, even some of the friends that are at the various parties who went on to become slightly bigger actors. Like uh, – what's his name? John Cho is is friggin' in the new Star Trek series. Like, like he's got this tiny bit part in this, but um, – They bring them all back for the sequel in a way that totally – even Casey Affleck who has like the one scene where he's the brother away at college and he talks to him on the phone. Yeah, he's – I remember.
0: I saw him too. He's the guy that tells him where the book is. That's him. Yeah, yeah, part two,
1: same thing. He's got this one little scene where the brother calls him back because – so this is supposed to take place their last year of high school, the last few months as they're preparing to end their high school careers and go to prom and hopefully lose their virginities. The sequel takes place a year later. They've done one year of college. And now it's the first summer out of college. They all come home for the summer having now matured arguably uh, by a year and sort of what do they do with themselves now that they're college men instead of high school boys. And the movie is I, – I think it's great and it doesn't just rehash all the same jokes that the first one does. There's certainly some things that are carried forward from the first one that make sense to continue to sort of go down those roads. But the second one – to your point, they had this great cast in part one. They literally got every single person to come back for part two, which I think they needed to for the sequel to work. And it absolutely did. So, and I, I would say if you enjoyed part one, I think you should check out part two. I think you're going to like it. Yeah,
0: maybe I'll take a look at it sometime. One of the things we've talked about when we look back at some of these movies is um, how quotable – the movie is. And this one kind of like I've always said like you know a lot of my favorite Gen X movies are just so quotable. So would you say that for a millennial generation that this is a very quotable film?
1: Yes. I mean it certainly is for for me and for my peer group when this came out we were we were riffing on a lot of the quotes. Now in all fairness, both my wife and I worked at Blockbuster Video. That's where we met. We're both huge movie buffs. We watch a lot of TV, a lot of movies, and we're always throwing around like movie and TV quotes like very obscure ones and so you can't really because i say i quote it isn't necessarily a good measuring stick of saying is it quotable but i think with this one there was enough that came out of it uh maybe not even necessarily the lines are being quoted but certain scenes are referenced to make a point uh and i think that that it it is quote unquote quotable uh from that point of view
0: The scene, again, going back to Eugene Levy, when he talks to his son, I just, I laughed through that whole scene. Like He's like explaining to me, sits him down on the bed and he's like, this is
1: your more. Risque magazine. Yeah. What, what made it funnier for me was then in the when the shan Elizabeth is undressing and and Jason Biggs pulls out the magazines. You could see in his face he's like, "I'm going to use the same language my dad taught me," that. and he exactly. starts quoting what, you'd yeah. leave, what Eugene <laughs> Levy had told him, and it's just like, "Oh, it was awkward the first time, and it's twice as awkward now."
0: And when, when Eugene Levy's tell, talk to his son, he's like, he's trying to talk to him about masturbation. Yeah, And he's like, it's like banging a tennis wall against a brick wall, which can be fun. But what you want is a partner to return the ball. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> the, the, just the allegories that he makes yeah. are so bad. He's like, and it's funny because this takes place in 99, but the dad's like, like a dad from the 50s. <laughs> like, yeah, he's just yeah. so bizarre. He's so, oh, so perfectly cast. I got um, think that a lot of Eugene,
1: Eugene Levy's lines were improvised.
0: But. I would think so, too. And that would make sense, obviously, from his background in, in Second City and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, even in that scene when he's like, oh, yeah, I, I used to do that a lot, too, when I was young. <laughs> and He's like, yeah, I used to call it stroking the salami, and then and he's like, but I never did it with baked goods, and then he's like talking about the uncle that does it like five, six times a day. She's that I, I really like that scene a lot. That was funny. Another scene that I like that to me was kind of quotable was um Allison Hannigan again going back to her. She's so good when she's like this character. She just goes on and on, and she's like this one time at band camp, like we all make crafts, and this one time at band camp, a guy fell out of a tree, like all this mundane stuff, right? And then all of a sudden. She just drops this bomb. Like, you know, The, the obviously when she says, you know, her, her very quotable line, which I won't even mention. Yeah. But, you know, it's just so funny. And then she's like, well, that's what Bandcamp is. It's sex ed. So, like, are we going to screw? Because, like, I'm getting kind of antsy. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, I saw you on the net. Like, why do you think I accepted this date? You're a sure thing. And I'm like, what the? This is- <laughs> she is amazing. Um, Allison yeah. Hannigan, probably my favorite character in this movie. Um, I, I I really enjoyed this. I did. I oh, really I'm I really glad. enjoyed this movie. Finally! Yeah. Finally, I picked one that Chris enjoyed. Yeah, and, and again, because I think it was a bit of a throwback to, again, those 80s sex comics. It wasn't quite, like I said at the top of the show, it wasn't quite the same because it was a bit more of the gross out kind of things in places. At least that's how it started for me. Um, but overall, like, I, 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 I get what they were going for. It was a lost art form in the 90s. They kind of resurrected it. Obviously, they did it successfully because it's, you know, spun off a whole bunch of sequels and copycats afterward. Um, Judd Apatow has kind of picked up things since then. But it's still, it, it's, it, I think it's it, it's as crazy as it sounds, it's an important genre. Sort of, sort of those sex comedies because I I think it's just something that everybody relates to. You know, it's, it's something everybody, everybody around the world, doesn't matter what culture you are, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how young you are, you can relate to this, you can relate to sex and being you know confused about it and being awkward around it and it's just something that's very very relatable and it's and as a result it's very funny so i thought it was good i thought it was good, good. well good i'm glad him. you liked it yeah. um
1: you mentioned the the one time at band camp so a uh, funny story so i saw this movie with my peer group while we were working like we were working at Blockbuster we actually got free passes to see it uh, from time to time the vendors would give us passes and so we had won these passes and the four or five of us went to see it and we loved it and we thought it was great so i of course recommended it to people i knew because we saw it a week ahead of its its actual release. And so I'm calling my friends. I'm like, oh, yeah, when this comes out next week, you got to go see it. It's great. great." So my brother is only a couple of years younger than I am. uh, He would have still been in college at this point. And so I remember calling him and saying, you have to see this and you have to go to see it with your high school buddies because you're going to love it. So he went to see it with his high school buddies uh, a couple of weeks later, and none of them knew anything about the movie. And it turns out one of the guys that they hang out with in, in high school, he used to do band camp in summers, and they apparently used to tease him about it all the time. And so when she starts going, this one time at band camp, they're all, like, elbowing him. They're like, Bruce, Bruce, that's you, man. Ha ha. And then at the end, when they get the whole payoff, and Bruce is like, yep, that's true. That's true. And they're all like, oh. So even now, whenever we watch that, when I'm sitting here watching it with my brother, we start elbowing each other. And we're like, Bruce, Bruce, that's you, Bruce. And he's like, oh. Yeah, no, it was just it's always funny, the little things that you can pick up out of these movies where uh, where it relates so closely, so directly with somebody, you know, or with yourself. And it was just like, oh, my God, so funny.
0: Yep, No, I thought I thought you did a good job. You nominated one that I actually enjoyed. It was a bit of a throwback. And uh, so so good work Um, on that note, though, I think it's time now to have some fun with caveman. (laughs) Okay, so this week we're going to go. We mentioned how this is a bit of a throwback to kind of the 80s you know, with some of the 80s movies. So what would be better than a throwback to playing a round of the winner's circle from the $100,000 pyramid? Okay, so I tell you what, this is how it's going to work. To make it up the pyramid today, Caveman, you got to name six movies, okay? And staying with the theme of this episode... Each movie is going to be a Gen X sex comedy. All you have to do is name the Gen X sex comedy. And in order to help you win, I'm going to be giving you clues, obviously. The only clues I can give you are the names of characters in the movie. So, I give you character names... You name the movie that they're in and they're all Gen X sex comedies, right?
1: Okay. Okay. I
0: don't know. I don't know what
1: this says about me if I get these all right or if I get these all wrong.
0: These are easy. You're going to love okay. this one. All right? I am won-
1: wondering how many of these we've already referenced tonight, but anyway, we'll Probably it a like bunch of them already.
0: So, yeah. I mentioned the characters, you name the 80s sex comedy. Ready? All right. Yes. Go. Tony DeNunzio. Mrs. Havercamp. Maggie O'Hooligan. Al Servic. Spalding Smales
1: Pass, I have no idea Lacey
0: Underall
1: Oh, uh, Porky's No, 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 no. Caddyshack
0: Caddyshack is right Okay, next Burke Judy Coach Harris Dean Ulick Lamar Takashi
1: Oh, Revenge of the Dirt
0: Very good Dennis Taylor Linda Barrett, Mr. Vargas, Brad Hamilton, Stacy Hamilton, Mark Ratner, Mike Damone. Oh, fast timers are going high. Very good, Coach Warren, Coach Brackett Sheriff Wallace, Tommy, Billy. What's up, yes. Nick the Tim the she-mail <laughs> Milt Rudy Dr. Tina Gasco Cole Whittier O'Neal Debbie Thompson Rick Gasco No idea Pass no. Pass uh, Rose Bernhardt Jane Mitchell Dexter Jones Walter Coolidge Bernadette, Peyton Nichols, Barney Springborough, Albert Einstein. Tap. Yes, very good. Okay, go back to the one we missed. Nick, Nick the d. Tim the She-Mail, Milt, Rick Gasco, yeah. Cole no Oh, we ran out of time. It's Bachelor Party. Never that, seen it. Oh, Bachelor Party. It was, oh, this is before Tom Hanks became an Academy Award winning actor. He made uh, Bachelor. Oh, Bachelor Party is so good. I'm Heard putting, of it. I'm putting it. that one on the list that you're okay. going to have to watch at some point. That's for sure. Oh, man. So overall, you, you did pretty good. What did when you, get 50, when you get? 650 bucks. Not bad. Nice. I'll, I'll bring you the money when I come down to play Escape from the Death Star. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> promises, that.
1: promises. I know.
0: Um, so uh Good movie. Good movie this week. Like I say, I'm I'm impressed. It was one that I really enjoyed. This was our 99th episode. What does that mean for our next episode? We're at our 100th episode. Hard to believe we've made it through 100 episodes. So what I thought next week is we'll come back. We'll maybe do a bit of a retrospective kind of thing. We'll have some fun with it. We'll take a look at uh, some of the episodes we've had over the last 100. Until then, if you want to reach us out reach out to us on Twitter, you'll find us at Amaron underscore DM. That's for Derek. You'll find me at C. McBrien. Or uh, you'll find uh, popcozierworld.com for all of our information. Until next episode, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.